Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also, please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins, at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast. It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. Hello, I am Lafayette Faust, the creator of this strange little podcast. I'm very grateful for all of you who have become constant listeners. You've given me a platform to pursue my passion, which is writing stories that hopefully entertain and engage, and if I'm doing it right, give you the occasional shiver. This podcast is free, but it isn't free to produce. If you are a fan of the show, I invite you to go by the store and buy a t-shirt or a mug. The link is in the show notes. But, of course, the most important thing you can do is subscribe to us on your favorite platform. Then, please like, share, and rate the show. Any support will be immensely appreciated. Welcome back to Nevermore Hollows. Tonight's story comes from our very own coroner, Elissa Hart. She has graciously allowed us to peruse her journals for some of her more curious cases. Recently, she had a terrifying encounter with some creatures you've heard about before. The Nub Creatures. And while she didn't get all the answers she wanted she did learn a little bit more about these elusive and deadly monsters. So, with that, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. I've always had a belief in the afterlife. And I've always liked a good ghost story, though I never really believed that it was possible that ghosts and monsters were real. I believed that heaven and hell were real, and that when you died, if you went to heaven, you didn't want to come back, and if you went to hell, you couldn't come back. Therefore, no paranormal ghosts or monsters. 
But my beliefs have changed. Not in heaven or hell. I still believe they exist, now more than ever. In the ten years that I've lived in Nevermore Hollows, I've been forced to not only accept the truth that ghosts and monsters are real and roam the earth, but to also accept that they are at war with us. I have the scars to prove it. Since I've been the coroner in this creepy little town, I've encountered witches, demons, vampires, dead bodies that get up and walk about, and monsters that defy description or classification. Not long after my first paranormal encounter with Nevermore's most powerful witch, an old woman named Granny Dingo, I decided to keep a record of all the evil entities that inhabit Nevermore Hollows. I study them, dissect them when I have a dead one, try to describe them and classify them, all in the hopes that we can learn how to defeat them. A great many of the townsfolk know the truth but have chosen to explain away all the terrible things that happen here. They choose to believe it's all caused by bad people and rabid animals. It's a blatant lie, but it keeps them sane. Anyway, let me get to the point of this entry. Nevermore has only one hospital. It's called Eldritch Hospital, named after one of the town's founding families. Their family crest is a squid-looking thing crawling from the center of the full moon, and that just happens to be the hospital's logo. The current building was constructed in the 1940s. It has a sleek Art Deco vibe with stylized geometric ornamentation and curious and often unnerving murals painted on some of the inside walls. It has a basement that contains a lab where blood work is processed and a sub-basement that contains the morgue. The hospital staff seems to be stuck in the same era. The female nurses all wear the old-style white uniforms with the little nurse's hat. The male nurses wear white shirts, pants, and shoes. The doctors all wear lab coats and bow ties. But what I find most curious about the hospital is that it completely closes down every night at 9 p.m. The doors are locked and only a skeleton crew works overnight. This includes the emergency room. All medical emergencies after 9 are triaged at Nevermore's only walk-in clinic across town, which is open 24 hours. And if someone should need hospitalization after the doors are locked, the hospital director must be notified so that further decisions can be made. I've asked about this policy. The answer is always that it is for safety. Now, on its surface, this makes complete sense. However, the other night I found out the truth. I had just finished an autopsy on a woman with curious bites to her neck and thighs. I feared this was caused by a vampire. But in the ten years I've been here, there's only been one verified vampire attack. That was at the far end of the county at a place the locals called Sparkletown. It was actually a mansion that was inhabited by a cult of 
whack job Gen Zers who chose to identify as vampires and dressed in ridiculous costumes and chose to use a lot of body glitter. Thus, the Sparkle Town moniker. One night, real vampires showed up and the massacre was gruesome. Beyond that, we've strangely not had any other verified vampire activity. The bites on the woman I had just finished autopsying did not have the telltale puncture marks of fangs. So I'm not sure exactly what bit the poor woman. I shudder when I think it was possibly just a lunatic cannibal. We've had a couple of those over the years. I had just put her in one of the coolers against the wall when I got a call. It was nearly midnight, and when I get calls at this hour, it's usually because there's a body somewhere. I noticed it was from Eldritch Hospital. Now, this was curious to me because, as I've stated before, they lock their doors at nine, and if sh someone should die during the night, they hold the body in the morgue until morning. Then they call me to do a pickup. I answered, This is Alyssa Hart. Alyssa? This is Carmen. I need your help. Carmen is my neighbor. She's 25 and just got her nursing degree. I'm proud of her because she had been an orphan who, as a teenager, had bounced around the country until she somehow ended up here in Nevermore Hollows just after her 18th birthday. She'd gotten a job at Misfits Coffee, which is where I met her. I'm a caffeine junkie, and Misfits has the best coffee that I've ever tasted. Not to mention that the place looks like a punk rock club that reminds me of good times and younger days. We struck up a conversation, and she ultimately became interested in pursuing a career as a nurse, which I encouraged her to do. I was able to get her a job at my office as an assistant while she went to school. During that time with me, I made sure that she understood that Nevermore is a nexus for the paranormal and the strange. She needed to know how dangerous it is to live here. She has a flexible mind and accepted the truth in stride. So I let her help me when I had to secretly autopsy some of the strange beasts that came across my table. She's tough as nails and she's hard to scare. Are you okay? I asked. I don't know. I mean, I'm not hurt, and I'm calling you from the ground floor nurse's station because my cell has no service. I think it's being blocked. And this is the only phone in the whole hospital that seems to work. But something strange is happening here, and I don't know what to do. Tell me, I said. Her voice was shaky. Today was my, my first day on the job. I was supposed to be out by nine, but... I wanted to show them how committed I was, so I decided to stay late and make sure my patients were taken care of. They didn't know I was here, and I got locked in. And a, about an hour later, things got weird. I didn't like it when someone in Nevermore used the word weird. How so? Carmen lowered her voice to a whisper. There are no doctors on site, only a few nurses. I don't know any of them, and they don't seem right. They seem off. That's the best way I can explain it. 
Nevermore Hollows consists of the town proper and about 300 square miles of rural land bordered on the northwest and south by Dunwich Forest and by the Atlantic Ocean on the east. The town actually sits on a small bay fed by the Atlantic Ocean. The whole county consists only of about 20,000 residents, big enough to not know everyone's name but small enough to know their faces. So it was strange in itself that she did not at least recognize any of the night nurses. I didn't like where this was going. How many nurses are on staff, Carmen? I counted four, she said. And they're acting pretty weird, but that's not what has me so scared. Some of the patients have changed since they locked the doors. This was a worrisome bit of information. Nevermore has its share of cryptids that are shapeshifters, all of them strange and deadly. Changed how? She paused before answering. I got the sense she was checking her surroundings, just like I'd taught her to do. Situational awareness is key to modern life because we live in a dangerous world, but in Nevermore, it is vital. Okay, she said. For example... Stephen Stanton is here. He came in to have his gallbladder removed. I went to check on him at 7.30 and he was sleeping well. I checked on him at 10 and his foot was missing. I already knew the answer to my next question, but I asked anyway. And I gather he had his foot when you first checked? Yes, but it doesn't look recently amputated. It's just a rounded nub, as if it occurred years ago. And he's not the only patient like this. Leave now, I told her. The fire exits have to be unlocked by law. Leave. Carmen's voice was so quivery now that I knew she was fighting back tears. I've tried, but all the exits are locked and I don't have a key. I can't find one anywhere. I don't want to ask the night nurses because I don't trust that they're really human. I didn't want to waste time exploring her thoughts on why she didn't think the night nurses were human. They probably weren't. Smash a window or a glass door, I said as I grabbed my keys and headed to the door. I'm on my way. I tried already, she said. They won't break. It's like they're shatterproof. I'm scared, Alyssa. I'm on my way, I repeated. Find a place to hide. Oh, dear Lord, she said. What is that thing? Carmen, I yelled. But the line was dead. I ran out of my office without locking up. I jumped into my 66 powder blue and white VW bus and took off toward the hospital. It was on the other side of town, and it was midnight with no traffic, so I got there in less than ten minutes. I careened into the parking lot. There were only a handful of cars, and the sodium vapor lights were scattered to such a degree that they did little to illuminate the parking lot. Instead, they cast random pools of sick yellow light, which only caused the darkness to seem deeper and more ominous. I pulled to a stop around back next to the coroner's entrance that allows me access to the morgue. I jumped out and used my key card to let myself in. 
Not for the first time, I realized that this store was unusually thick and heavy, more industrial than any of the other doors in the hospital. And as usual, I suspected that it was designed to keep something inside. Thank God, I said when the key card worked. I'd had a growing suspicion that it might not work for some reason or another, likely a paranormal one. I propped the door open with a fire extinguisher from the wall just in case my key would not work when we tried to exit, and I stepped into the ground floor stairwell. The hospital had dimmed its lighting, casting everything in gloom and conjuring deep shadows. The brightest light was the exit sign over this door, which spilled its bloody light around me. The stairs led up to the second floor patient rooms and down to the basements. I had my flashlight in one hand, my Glock in the other. I didn't know where Carmen was, so I decided to start with the nurse's station here on the ground floor because that's where she had called me from. This reminded me of what she said about her cell. I checked mine. No service. I took a peek through the window set in the door. I looked out onto the south hallway, which was lined on both sides with patient rooms. Forty yards down, it intersected with the main hallway that ran east to west. At this junction sat the nurse's station. The lighting here was also dim, the rooms dark. There was no one in sight. I pushed through the door and began making my way slowly down the hallway, ready to clear each room as quickly as I could, just like Sheriff Cotton Mosley had taught me. I crept up to the first room, which was on my right. I shone my light inside. An old woman lay in a bed, hooked up to various machines. She was asleep with her mouth open, snoring softly. Other than that, all seemed fine. On to the next room. Empty. In fact, the rest of the rooms in this hallway were empty. I made it to the nurse's station. It appeared there had been a struggle. Papers were strewn about the desk and floor. The phone was off the hook. A computer monitor had been knocked over and smashed. There was a bright smear of blood on the counter. I saw Carmen's photo ID lying on the floor. I left the nurse's station and headed up the north hallway, checking the rooms as I went. All were filled with the sick and the dying, all sleeping, but nothing else that would cause me concern. At the end of the hallway, I noticed there was a smear of blood on the handle of the door that led to the emergency stairwell. I popped open the door and stepped into the landing. I noticed a few drops of blood on the stairs leading up to the second floor. I made my way up to the next landing where I found blood smeared on the door. I stepped through. There were ten rooms in this hallway, five on each side. Then another nurse's station. Beyond that, the south hallway. This floor also seemed to be devoid of hospital staff. Someone moaned. It came from the second room on my left. I eased forward, gave a quick look in the door to my right, a middle-aged man, asleep in the bed. I checked the first door on my left, empty. 
I inched closer to the room from where the moaning was coming. I peeked around the door, and for a long moment, I questioned my sanity. I knew the man lying in the bed. It was Terry Grissom. He was my mailman. At least he was up until he fell and broke his leg a few days back. He'd done enough damage to require surgery, and he lay in the bed, eyes wide open, filled with abject terror. Straddling him was something difficult to describe. It was the naked body of a man, pale and hairless. It had arms and legs, but no hands and feet. Those appendages ended in rounded nubs. It was also missing its head. The neck ended in a pucker. As I watched, a long black tongue protruded snake-like from the puckered end of the neck and pushed between Terry's lips. Tears began to stream from Terry's eyes. He seemed to be paralyzed, unable to defend himself, but fully aware of what was happening. I was so disturbed, so completely disgusted that I was unable to react. My mind reeled as I watched Terry's throat bulge when the tongue snaked deep. I wanted to help, but I wasn't sure what to do. I could shoot this nub creature, but... Wasn't sure what would happen if I did, considering it had its tongue down Terry's throat. Suddenly, the creature's pale skin blushed. The only thing that made sense to me was that it was using the tongue-like appendage to somehow feed on Terry's blood. When the creature had gorged itself, it retracted its black tongue, raised up on its knees, and let out a long, gurgling sound. Terry was now deathly pale. His eyes were closed. His breathing was shallow. I shot the damn thing. Twice, hitting it in the shoulder and in the ribs. But they weren't kill shots, and it turned and climbed off the bed. It landed on all fours and scrambled toward me, It wasn't able to gain a lot of traction due to its missing hands and feet. I turned and ran down the hallway. The creature gave an awkward chase. As I ran past each room, I glanced inside, hoping to find Carmen, or at least hoping that if she were hiding, she'd run out and see who was shooting. Most of the rooms were empty. There were only a handful of patients. All of them were surprisingly asleep. I wondered if they were in a trance or under some kind of spell. The next room flashed by. A girl, no more than ten years old, lay in bed. One of the creatures sitting on her chest, licking her face and head. The poor girl's face seemed to wither into a puckered nub, while a grotesque version of her face began to take shape on the creature's neck. 
The first creature continued to scramble after me. Thankfully, it was unable to gain enough traction to catch up with me. I ran, and as I ran past the last room, only ten feet from the stairwell door, a child-sized creature shot out of the room and slammed into me. We hit the wall hard. I dropped the gun as the air was knocked out of me. I fell to my knees. The creature's tongue shot out and wrapped around my left wrist. I punched it right in the face, which was not yet fully formed. Its mouth was still a nasty pucker. One eye was fully formed while the other was a gooey orb. It had a tuft of thick hair sticking from the back of its head. It gurgled in rage and grabbed a handful of my hair. Suddenly, the stairwell door slammed open and Carmen stepped into the hallway and hacked at the creature's arm with a bone saw. It gurgled in pain and lost its grip on my hair, though the tongue held tight to my wrist. Carmen slammed the bone saw down and severed the tongue. Thick, black goose streaked with a milky white substance squirted out. I threw off the severed tongue and pushed myself up. Follow me, Carmen said. She ran back through the door into the stairwell. I followed, wiping the sticky goo from my arm onto my jeans. The door slammed shut behind us and I turned to look through the window. The creature that Carmen had sliced was on the floor, writhing in pain. The one that had been crawling after me had disappeared, likely into a room with a sleeping victim. The creature that had been licking the little girl's face walked out of the room and up to the door. It now had her head, though it wasn't yet fully developed and was grotesquely misshapen. The eyes were droopy and milky with cataract. The mouth was a wide hole filled with tiny square teeth. It gurgled at me through the window. I pulled my gaze away from the door. Sweetie, are you okay? She was pale, frazzled, and her mascara had smeared. But she had a determined look in her eyes. I'm good, she said. They nearly got me a couple of times. The creature with the little girl's head rattled the door. I stepped back and brought the gun up, ready to fire. It takes them a few minutes to figure out how things work, Carmen said. How did you get in? My key card worked at the coroner's entrance on the other side of the hospital, I said. I propped the door open so we could get out just in case my card doesn't work from the inside. We just have to make it back before we get eaten, or whatever it is these things are doing to these patients. Good, Carmen said. Let's go before it figures out how to open the door. I followed her down the north stairs to the ground floor. There was a door that led out onto the parking lot, but my key card would not work. We turned to the door that led back into the hospital. We peeked through the window set in the door and saw that there were two of the nub creatures crawling about, their tongues snaking into the air. We need to get across to the south side door that I propped open. I said, but we're not going to be able to cross over to the other side here. 
We'll have to go down to the basement and see if we can cross over there. What do you think these things are? I don't know, she replied. I've been thinking of them as nub creatures. The reason why seems pretty obvious. Yeah, I can see that, I said, remembering how that exact term had popped into my mind when I saw the first one. One of them was on top of Terry Grissom. It had its tongue stuck down his throat. Carmen glanced at me. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times tonight. I think they're drinking the life force from the patients. I considered her response. It seemed to jibe with my idea that it was drinking blood and oxygen from Terry's lungs. Well, that makes as much sense as anything else, I said. You know I've been classifying these monsters that inhabit this town. And since you're the first person to seemingly encounter these things, you get to name them. For now, we'll just run with nubs. Carmen suppressed a smile. We have to survive first. Good point, I said. I was proud of Carmen for surviving this far and being able to keep her sanity. Tell me what you've learned. Carmen shuddered as she recalled what she had seen. Every one of them I've seen so far started out as a torso and arms and legs, no hands, no head. And their appendages end in nubs. They begin completely genderless. I think the nurses gave the patients something to keep them asleep. But somehow these nubs are able to physically paralyze the ones who wake up during the attack. Well, that makes sense as to why Terry wasn't resisting, I said. He just lay there, crying. It's terrifying, Carmen replied. Then, when they're on top of the patient, they stick those snake-like tongues down their throats and... As they steal a person's life force, they begin to take on a gender. So far, it's been the same gender as the patient they're attacking. It's freaky as hell, I said. I wonder why any of this is happening. Well, that's the million-dollar question, Carmen said. But when the nubs are done with a patient, the night nurses show up, throw what's left of the patient on a gurney, and take them down to the basement. My guess is the morgue. I said a silent prayer. Then, none of them looked as if they had complete control of their new appendages. How long do you think it will be before they can open doors and such? Not long, Carmen said. The first one attacked me around 10.30 as I was making my rounds, and its feet were fully formed, but not its hands. It didn't even have a head, but it was able to chase me, I believe it uses the snake tongue to somehow sense its surroundings. Anyway, I ran into the first floor stairwell and the door closed behind me. The nub struggled to open the door. It gave me a few minutes to run to the second floor, but eventually it was able to come through after me. What happened then? Carmen shrugged. Basically, I've been playing hide-and-seek with these things and the night nurses. I was finally able to make it back to the phone on the ground floor. 
I think they keep that line open to stop people from being suspicious. One of the night nurses stays close to answer any calls, but when she saw me running from the nub creatures, she alerted the others and they also began chasing me. I haven't seen any of the night nurses, I said. I suppose they're still looking for me. I wasn't so sure about her assessment. Something didn't add up. If that's the case, then where are they? Why haven't we seen them? Carmen considered my question. Good point. I haven't seen any of them since you got here. We heard the door above us open and more of that gurgling noise the nubs make. Time to go, I said. We ran down the stairs to the basement and peered through the window set in the laboratory door. It was spacious and dimly lit and filled with various medical machines designed to analyze blood and tissue. It was empty of both nurses and nubs, but we would not be able to cross over to the south side of the hospital and make our escape because this was the only door. I swiped my key card and was surprised that it worked, granting me access to the lab. What are you looking for? Carmen asked. Nothing, I said, propping the door open with another fire extinguisher. This is simply a ruse. I hope the nub coming down the stairs will think we're in here. Right on cue, we heard the creature slowly making its way down the stairs. We turned and ran down to the sub-basement, to the morgue. I knew that the north and south stairwells emptied into a hallway that crossed in front of the morgue. I prayed we'd be able to cross over there without running into the nurses or the nubs. When we made it down into the hallway, I was disappointed but intrigued to see a red-orange glow spilling through the window set in the morgue door. We crept close. I motioned her to keep an eye out for the nub creature in the stairwell, and then I peered inside the morgue. The glow came from a small crematorium which is used to destroy biological tissue taken during surgeries. Its door was open and the flames leaped and danced as if in hungry expectation of an offering. All four of the night nurses stood around a gurney, two to a side, on which lay the body of what I presumed was to be a patient that had been killed by one of the nub creatures. The body was missing its hands and feet and its head. But the most shocking element of this scene were the nurses themselves. They all wore white, vintage-style, short-sleeved dresses, aprons, and caps. The skin of their exposed calves and arms were dark gray and eel-slick. The underside of their forearms and their wrists were snake-belly-white, and were covered in double rows of tiny suckers like those you would see on an octopus. Their shoulder-length hair was dark and stringy and reminded me of rotten seaweed. They lifted the body and shoved it into the crematorium. Then they turned and every blood cell in my body turned to ice. 
They had the same pale, eel-slick flesh on their faces, but each face had a dark crimson pattern that constantly morphed from one disturbing image to another, like a hellish Rorschach blot. One moment the images resembled hungry faces, other moments as if they were grimacing in pain, the next moment as if they were in the throes of wicked ecstasy. Well, that's the most disturbing thing I've seen tonight, I said. Carmen shot a look inside. Gross! They didn't look like that earlier. They looked like normal women. Two of the night nurses pulled a second gurney holding another body close to the crematorium. They hefted the body inside. I've seen all I need to see, I said. Time to go. We turned to see that the nub creature, the one with the little girl's head, had snuck down the stairs while we were entranced watching the nurses. It had maneuvered itself to within eight feet or so from us. Her head was still mostly deformed. One of her eyes was fully developed and the other was not quite right. Her mouth had taken more shape and was filled with tiny, crooked teeth. She began moving her lips, mumbling. It's saying something, Carmen said. It stood before us. The look on her pitiful face was confused and scared. She spoke louder, her voice pleading. She said, Mama. My heart broke right then. But I knew there was nothing I could do but say a prayer and put the poor thing out of its misery. I fired two shots into its heart. The little girl's eyes shot wide in shock, then softened into what I will go to my grave believing was thankfulness. She collapsed into a deformed heap at our feet. Knowing that the gunshot would surely have alerted the nurses, we stepped over the body and ran back up to the south side main floor. I was glad to see that the door was still propped open with the fire extinguisher. We ran out into the night and slammed the door behind us. I snatched my phone from my pocket and saw that I had service. I called Mosley and told him to get here as fast as he could. It only took him five minutes. The dark truth of this town keeps him out late into the night. He was followed in his cruiser by another containing two of his deputies who were in on the secret. The deputies jumped out of their cruiser, guns drawn, and took positions on each side of the door, ready for whenever we stepped back inside. Mosley strode over to us as if he were a battle-weary general preparing himself for yet another skirmish. Tell me, he said. Carmen and I gave him a one-minute snapshot. When we were done, he nodded at me. I took this to mean that I was to unlock the door with my key card. I swiped it, and the deputies crept in with their guns ready. I had my Glock, and Mosley handed Carmen his secondary weapon, a SIG forty caliber. We followed the deputies inside. 
We made our way down the steps, but the body of the nub creature with the little girl's misshapen head was gone. Only a pool of congealed blood remained. We stepped over to the morgue. The nurses were gone. And there were no gurneys with bodies, but the crematorium was still hot, though it had been shut off. We made our way up the stairs, checking the lab along the way. It was empty. We stepped out of the stairwell onto a well-lighted main floor. A nurse came out of one of the rooms and gave us a smile. She looked completely human. Her hair was long and red and in a braid. She had freckles on her nose and bright green eyes. Her name badge informed us her name was Chloe. Can I help you? She said, looking at our guns. Um, is everything okay? Mosley gave me the look, the one that says he believed me that just moments ago the hospital was full-on creepy and that the nurses were some kind of squid-human hybrids and that nub creatures wandered around stealing pieces of people's bodies. I returned his look with one that said, This town is all kinds of crazy. We were on edge, not convinced that this cute little nurse wouldn't turn into a raging beast in a single heartbeat but we knew that the evil behind the strange happenings here at Eldritch Hospital was trying to do a cover-up. Mosley glared at the thing before us. How many patients do you have here tonight? Chloe looked up to her right and bit her lip in cute fashion as she considered her response. I believe we have ten patients residing here in the hospital tonight. What do you ask? Mosley ignored her. Instead, he looked at Carmen. The unspoken question was if she agreed that ten was the correct number. Carmen nodded. I want to check on each of them, Mosley said. I want to make sure that nobody has done them any harm. Why would anyone do any of our patients any harm? Chloe asked. Mosley grimaced. I could tell he wanted to be more direct, but I got the sense he felt it was wise to do this little dance and not escalate the situation until we could make a better assessment. We got an anonymous tip that someone was in the hospital with evil intent, he said, that they wanted to hurt a patient. Oh, dear, Chloe said. Of course. Which patient is it? Terry Grissom, Mosley said. Chloe looked genuinely surprised. Wow. Okay, um, Mr. Grissom is fine. Follow me. I'll take you to him. We followed her but did not holster our weapons. We kept our eyes out for danger, scanning every detail, making sure to glance inside every room. I was not surprised that the patients all looked normal, though they were still in a deep sleep. We made it to Terry's room. He was awake, sitting up in his bed, reading a magazine. I stepped over to him and said, How you feeling, Terry? He replied that he was fine. We spoke for a few minutes. He had his hands, feet, and was communicative, but his eyes no longer had the spark of life. Instead, they had the feral glow that you'd see on a dangerous animal. 
When I asked him point blank if he'd been attacked by anyone or anything, he gave a slight smile and told me I'd been watching too many horror movies. His smile did not have the warmth of a human spirit. Instead, it felt cold, calculated. We stepped out of the room and Mosley told Chloe that he wanted to check all the rooms in the hospital to make sure no one was hiding. We found the other three night nurses roaming about. They all looked completely human and were a bit too helpful. We also checked on the other patients that Carmen and I had seen victimized by the nub creatures. They were alert, though they seemed less human, just like Terry. Mosley stationed four deputies outside the hospital. He did it to try and stop any further paranormal activity, at least for the rest of the night. It was nearing 2 a.m., and he wanted to debrief me and Carmen in private back at my office. I brewed us some coffee, and we sat around the table in the break room, and we discussed this new paranormal threat to our town. So, you're the woman trying to classify these things, he said. What are they? I shook my head. Damned if I know cotton. But Carmen here gave us the name. We're calling them nubs. Mosley nodded. I like it. Descriptively simple. Where do you think they disappeared to? Another unknown, I replied. These are so new to us that I have no idea how they're created, where they come from, where they go when they aren't feeding. We don't even know if they come out every night or once a year or whether they're linked only to the hospital. All we know is that they steal your essence and steal your appendages somehow with their tongues. We don't know what kind of magic is behind this, only that it's evil. Damn, Mosley said. He took a sip of coffee as he considered his next question. Then... The nurses. They're also something new. Never heard of a monster that was half human, half squid. One thing is for sure, Carmen said. The things that haunt this town are nothing like any of the classic monsters from childhood. Everything here is stranger, darker, deadlier. Mosley gave her an appreciative nod. That is a very solid assessment. Then he looked at me. We need more like her. That gave me an idea. Carmen, honey, you can't go back to work at the hospital. You want to come back to work for me as assistant coroner? That way I can help keep you safe, and maybe together we can better understand what the hell is going on in this crazy-ass town. Mosley gave a low chuckle. Wouldn't that be nice? A lofty goal indeed. He raised his coffee mug in a toast. To better understanding what the hell is going on in this crazy-ass town. Carmen and I raised our mugs, clinked them all together, and sipped. And with that, we defeated thoughts of monsters and magic and murder with conversation about the good things in life.